Section 3 of Daisy Miller. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Micah Labishak. Daisy Miller, A Study in Two Parts by Henry James. Section 3. The young girl walked on a few steps, laughing still. You needn't be afraid, she repeated. Why should she want to know me? Then she paused again. She was close to the parapet of the garden, and in front of her was the starlit lake. There was a vague sheen upon its surface, and in the distance were dimly seen mountain forms. Daisy Miller looked out upon the mysterious prospect, and then she gave another little laugh. Gracious, she is inclusive, she said. Winterbourne wondered whether she was seriously wounded, and for a moment almost wished that her sense of injury might be such as to make it becoming in him to attempt to reassure and comfort her. He had a pleasant sense that she would be very approachable for consolatory purposes. He felt then, for the instant, quite ready to sacrifice his aunt conversationally, to admit that she was a proud, rude woman, and to declare that they needn't mind her. But before he had time to commit himself to this perilous mixture of gallantry and impiety, the young lady, resuming her walk, gave an exclamation in quite another tone. "'Well, here's mother. I guess she hasn't got Randolph to go to bed.' The figure of a lady appeared at a distance, very indistinct in the darkness, and advancing with a slow and wavering movement. Suddenly it seemed to pause. "'Are you sure it is your mother? Can you distinguish her in this thick dusk?' Winterburne asked. "'Well!' cried Miss Daisy Miller with a laugh. I guess I know my own mother. And when she has got on my shawl, too, she is always wearing my things. The lady in question, ceasing to advance, hovered vaguely about the spot at which she had checked her steps. I'm afraid your mother doesn't see you, said Winterbourne. Or perhaps, he added, thinking with Miss Miller the joke permissible, perhaps she feels guilty about your shawl. Oh, it's a fearful old thing, the young girl replied serenely. I told her she could wear it. She won't come here because she sees you. Ah, then, said Winterbourne, I had better leave you. Oh, no, come on, urged Miss Daisy Miller. I'm afraid your mother doesn't approve of my walking with you. Miss Miller gave him a serious glance. It isn't for me. It's for you. That is, it's for her. Well, I don't know who it's for, but mother doesn't like any of my gentlemen friends. She's right down timid. She always makes a fuss if I introduce a gentleman. But I do introduce them, almost always. If I didn't introduce my gentleman friends to mother, the young girl added in her little soft, flat monotone, I shouldn't think I was natural. To introduce me, said Winterbourne, you must know my name. And he proceeded to pronounce it. Oh, dear, I can't say all that, said his companion with a laugh. But by this time they had come up to Mrs. Miller, who, as they drew near, walked to the parapet of the garden and leaned upon it, looking intently at the lake and turning her back to them. "'Mother,' said the young girl in a tone of decision. The elder lady turned round. "'Mr. Winterburn,' said Miss Daisy Miller, introducing the young man very frankly and prettily. "'Common,' she was, as Mrs. Costello had pronounced her. Yet it was a wonder to Winterburn that, with her commonness, she had a singularly delicate grace. Her mother was a small, spare, light person, with a wandering eye, a very exiguous nose, and a large forehead, decorated with a certain amount of thin, much frizzled hair. 
Like her daughter, Mrs. Miller was dressed with extreme elegance. She had enormous diamonds in her ears. So far as Winterbourne could observe, she gave him no greeting. She certainly was not looking at him. Daisy was near her, pulling her shawl straight. "'What are you doing, poking round here?' this young lady inquired, but by no means with that harshness of accent which her choice of words may imply. "'I don't know,' said her mother, turning toward the lake again. "'I shouldn't think you'd want that shawl,' Daisy exclaimed. "'Well, I do,' her mother answered with a little laugh. "'Did you get Randolph to go to bed?' asked the young girl. "'No, I couldn't induce him,' said Mrs. Miller very gently. "'He wants to talk to the waiter.' He likes to talk to that waiter. I was telling Mr. Winterburn, the young girl went on, and to the young man's ear her tone might have indicated that she had been uttering his name all her life. Oh, yes, said Winterburn, I have the pleasure of knowing your son. Randolph's mamma was silent. She turned her attention to the lake. But at last she spoke. Well, I don't see how he lives. Anyhow, it isn't so bad as it was at Dover, said Daisy Miller. "'And what occurred at Dover?' Winterburn asked. "'He wouldn't go to bed at all. "'I guess he sat up all night in the public parlour. "'He wasn't in bed at twelve o'clock, I know that. "'It was half-past twelve, declared Mrs. Miller with mild emphasis. "'Does he sleep much during the day?' Winterburn demanded. "'I guess he doesn't sleep much,' Daisy rejoined. "'I wish he would,' said her mother. "'It seems as if he couldn't. "'I think he's real tiresome,' Daisy pursued." Then, for some moments, there was silence. "'Well, Daisy Miller,' said the elder lady presently, "'I shouldn't think you'd want to talk against your own brother.' "'Well, he is tiresome, mother,' said Daisy, "'quite without the asperity of a retort. "'He's only nine, urged Mrs. Miller. "'Well, he wouldn't go to that castle,' said the young girl. "'I'm going there with Mr. Winterburn.' To this announcement, very placidly made, Daisy's mamma offered no response. Winterburn took for granted that she deeply disapproved of the projected excursion, but he said to himself that she was a simple, easily managed person, and that a few deferential protestations would take the edge from her displeasure. "'Yes,' he began, "'your daughter has kindly allowed me the honour of being her guide.' Mrs. Miller's wandering eyes attached themselves, with a sort of appealing air, to Daisy, who, however, strolled a few steps farther, gently humming to herself. "'I presume you will go in the cars,' said her mother. "'Yes, or in the boat,' said Winterburn. "'Well, of course, I don't know,' Mrs. Miller rejoined. "'I have never been to that castle.' "'It is a pity you shouldn't go,' said Winterburn, beginning to feel reassured as to her opposition. "'And yet he was quite prepared to find that, as a matter of course, she meant to accompany her daughter. "'We've been thinking ever so much about going,' she pursued, "'but it seems as if we couldn't.' Of course, Daisy, she wants to go round, but there's a lady here. I don't know her name. She says she shouldn't think we'd want to go to see castles here. She should think we'd want to wait till we got to Italy. It seems as if there would be so many there, continued Mrs. Miller with an air of increasing confidence. Of course, we only want to see the principal ones. We visited several in England, she presently added. "'Ah, yes, in England there are beautiful castles,' said Winterburn. "'But Chillon, here, is very well worth seeing.' "'Well, if Daisy feels up to it,' said Mrs. Miller in a tone, "'impregnated with a sense of the magnitude of the enterprise. "'It seems as if there was nothing she wouldn't undertake.' 
"'Oh, I think she'll enjoy it,' Winterbourne declared, and he desired more and more to make it a certainty that he was to have the privilege of a tete-a-tete -tete with the young lady, who was still strolling along in front of them, softly vocalizing. "'You are not disposed, madam,' he inquired, "'to undertake it yourself?' Daisy's mother looked at him an instant askance, and then walked forward in silence. "'Then I guess she had better go alone,' she said simply. Winterburn observed to himself that this was a very different type of maternity from that of the vigilant matrons who massed themselves in the forefront of social intercourse in the dark old city at the other end of the lake. But his meditations were interrupted by hearing his name very distinctly pronounced by Mrs. Miller's unprotected daughter. "'Mr. Winterburn,' murmured Daisy. "'Mademoiselle,' said the young man, "'don't you want to take me out in a boat?' "'At present?' he asked. "'Of course.' said Daisy. "'Well, Annie Miller!' exclaimed her mother. "'I beg you, madam, to let her go,' said Winterburn ardently, for he had never yet enjoyed the sensation of guiding through the summer starlight a skiff freighted with a fresh and beautiful young girl. "'I shouldn't think she'd want to,' said her mother. "'I should think she'd rather go indoors.' "'I'm sure Mr. Winterburn wants to take me,' Daisy declared. "'He's so awfully devoted.' "'I will row you over to Chillon in the starlight.' "'I don't believe it,' said Daisy. "'Well,' ejaculated the elder lady again. "'You haven't spoken to me for half an hour,' her daughter went on. "'I've been having some very pleasant conversation with your mother,' said Winterburn. "'Well, I want you to take me out in a boat,' Daisy repeated. They had all stopped, and she had turned round and was looking at Winterburn. Her face wore a charming smile— her pretty eyes were gleaming, she was swinging her great fan about. No, it's impossible to be prettier than that, thought Winterburn. There are half a dozen boats moored at that landing place, he said, pointing to certain steps which descended from the garden to the lake. If you will do me the honor to accept my arm, we will go and select one of them. Daisy stood there smiling. She threw back her head and gave a little light laugh. I like a gentleman to be formal, she declared. "'I assure you it's a formal offer.' "'I was bound I would make you say something,' Daisy went on. "'You see, it's not very difficult,' said Winterburn. "'But I'm afraid you are chaffing me.' "'I think not, sir,' remarked Mrs. Miller very gently. "'Do, then, let me give you a row,' he said to the young girl. "'It's quite lovely the way you say that,' cried Daisy. "'It will be still more lovely to do it.' "'Yes, it would be lovely,' said Daisy.' but she made no movement to accompany him. She only stood there, laughing. "'I should think you had better find out what time it is,' interposed her mother. "'It is eleven o'clock, madam,' said a voice with a foreign accent out of the neighboring darkness, and Winterburn, turning, perceived the florid personage who was in attendance upon the two ladies. He had apparently just approached. "'Oh, Eugenio,' said Daisy, "'I am going out in a boat.' Eugenio bowed. "'At eleven o'clock, mademoiselle.' "'I am going with Mr. Winterburn this very minute.' "'Do tell her she can't,' said Mrs. Miller to the courier. "'I think you had better not go out in a boat, mademoiselle,' Eugenio declared. Winterburn wished to heaven this pretty girl were not so familiar with her courier, but he said nothing. "'I suppose you don't think it's proper,' Daisy exclaimed. "'Eugenio doesn't think anything's proper.' "'I am at your service,' said Winterburn. "'Does Mademoiselle propose to go alone?' asked Eugenio of Mrs. Miller. "'Oh, no, with this gentleman,' answered Daisy's mamma. 
The courier looked for a moment at Winterburn. The latter thought he was smiling, and then, solemnly, with a bow, as Mademoiselle pleases, he said, Oh, I hoped you would make a fuss, said Daisy. I don't care to go now. I myself shall make a fuss if you don't go, said Winterburn. That's all I want, a little fuss. And the young girl began to laugh again. Mr. Randolph has gone to bed, the courier announced frigidly. Oh, Daisy, now we can go, said Mrs. Miller. Daisy turned away from Winterburn, looking at him, smiling and fanning herself. Good night, she said. I hope you are disappointed or disgusted or something. He looked at her, taking the hand she offered him. I am puzzled, he answered. Well, I hope it won't keep you awake, she said very smartly. And under the escort of the privileged Eugenio, the two ladies passed toward the house. Winterburn stood looking after them. He was indeed puzzled. He lingered beside the lake for a quarter of an hour, turning over the mystery of the young girl's sudden familiarities and caprices. But the only very definite conclusion he came to was that he should enjoy deucedly going off with her somewhere. Two days afterward, he went off with her to the castle of Chillon. He waited for her in the large hall of the hotel, where the couriers, the servants, the foreign tourists were lounging about and staring. It was not the place he should have chosen, but she had appointed it. She came tripping downstairs, buttoning her long gloves, squeezing her folded parasol against her pretty figure, dressed in the perfection of a soberly elegant travelling costume. Winterburn was a man of imagination, and, as our ancestors used to say, sensibility. As he looked at her dress and on the great staircase her little rapid confiding step, he felt as if there were something romantic going forward. He could have believed he was going to elope with her. He passed out with her among all the idle people that were assembled there. They were all looking at her very hard. She had begun to chatter as soon as she joined him. Winterburn's preference had been that they should be conveyed to Chillon in a carriage, but she expressed a lively wish to go in the little steamer. She declared that she had a passion for steamboats. There was always such a lovely breeze upon the water, and you saw such lots of people. The sail was not long, but Winterburn's companion found time to say a great many things. To the young man himself, their little excursion was so much of an escapade, an adventure, that even allowing for her habitual sense of freedom, he had some expectation of seeing her regarded in the same way. But it must be confessed that, in this particular, he was disappointed. Daisy Miller was extremely animated. She was in charming spirits, but she was apparently not at all excited. She was not fluttered. She avoided neither his eyes nor those of anyone else. She blushed neither when she looked at him nor when she felt that people were looking at her. People continued to look at her a great deal, and Winterburn took much satisfaction in his pretty companion's distinguished air. He had been a little afraid that she would talk loud, laugh overmuch, and even, perhaps, desire to move about the boat a good deal. But he quite forgot his fears. He sat smiling with his eyes upon her face while, without moving from her place, she delivered herself of a great number of original reflections. It was the most charming garrulity he had ever heard— he had assented to the idea that she was common, but was she so, after all, or was he simply getting used to her commonness? Her conversation was chiefly of what metaphysicians term the objective caste, but every now and then it took a subjective turn. "'What on earth are you so grave about?' she suddenly demanded, fixing her agreeable eyes upon Winterburn's. "'Am I grave?' he asked. 
I had an idea I was grinning from ear to ear. You look as if you were taking me to a funeral. If that's a grin, your ears are very near together. Should you like me to dance a hornpipe on the deck? Pray do, and I'll carry round your hat. It will pay the expenses of our journey. I never was better pleased in my life, murmured Winterbourne. She looked at him a moment and then burst into a little laugh. I like to make you say those things. You're a queer mixture. In the castle, after they had landed, the subjective element decidedly prevailed. Daisy tripped about the vaulted chambers, rustled her skirts in the corkscrew staircases, flirted back with a pretty little cry and a shudder from the edge of the oubliettes, and turned a singularly well-shaped ear to everything that Winterbourne told her about the place. But he saw that she cared very little for feudal antiquities, and that the dusky traditions of Chillon made but a slight impression upon her. They had the good fortune to have been able to walk about without other companionship than that of the custodian, and Winterburn arranged with his functionary that they should not be hurried, that they should linger and pause wherever they chose. The custodian interpreted the bargain generously. Winterburn, on his side, had been generous, and ended by leaving them quite to themselves. Miss Miller's observations were not remarkable for logical consistency, for anything she wanted to say she was sure to find a pretext. She found a great many pretexts in the rugged embrasures of Chillon for asking Winterburn sudden questions about himself his family, his previous history, his tastes, his habits, his intentions, and for supplying information upon corresponding points in her own personality. Of her own tastes, habits, and intentions, Miss Miller was prepared to give the most definite and indeed the most favorable account. "'Well, I hope you know enough,' she said to her companion, after he had told her the history of the unhappy Bonavard. "'I never saw a man that knew so much.' The history of Bonavard had evidently, as they say, gone into one ear and out of the other. But Daisy went on to say that she wished Winterburn would travel with them and go round with them. They might know something in that case. "'Don't you want to come and teach Randolph?' she asked. Winterburn said that nothing could possibly please him so much, but that he had, unfortunately, other occupations. "'Other occupations? I don't believe it,' said Miss Daisy. "'What do you mean? You are not in business?' The young man admitted that he was not in business, but he had engagements which, even within a day or two, would force him to go back to Geneva. "'Oh, bother,' she said. "'I don't believe it,' and she began to talk about something else. But a few moments later, when he was pointing out to her the pretty design of an antique fireplace, she broke out irrelevantly. "'You don't mean to say you are going back to Geneva?' "'It is a melancholy fact that I shall have to return to Geneva to-morrow.' "'Well, Mr. Winterburn,' said Daisy, "'I think you're horrid.' "'Oh, don't say such dreadful things,' said Winterburn. "'Just at the last?' "'The last?' cried the young girl. "'I call it the first. "'I have half a mind to leave you here "'and go straight back to the hotel alone.' "'And for the next ten minutes "'she did nothing but call him horrid. "'Poor Winterburn was fairly bewildered. "'No young lady had as yet done him the honour "'to be so agitated by the announcement of his movements.' His companion, after this, ceased to pay any attention to the curiosities of Chillon or the beauties of the lake. She opened fire upon the mysterious charmer in Geneva whom she appeared to have instantly taken it for granted that he was hurrying back to sea. How did Miss Daisy Miller know that there was a charmer in Geneva? Winterburn, who denied the existence of such a person, was quite unable to discover, and he was divided between amazement at the rapidity of her induction and amusement at the frankness of her persiflage. She seemed to him, in all this, an extraordinary mixture of innocence and crudity. 
does she never allow you more than three days at a time asked daisy ironically doesn't she give you a vacation in summer there's no one so hard worked but they can get leave to go off somewhere at this season i suppose if you stay another day she'll come after you in the boat do wait over till friday and i will go down to the landing to see her arrive winterbourne began to think he had been wrong to feel disappointed in the temper in which the young lady had embarked if he had missed the personal accent the personal accent was now making its appearance it sounded very distinctly at last in her telling him she would stop teasing him if he would promise her solemnly to come down to rome in the winter that's not a difficult promise to make said winterbourne my aunt has taken an apartment in rome for the winter and has already asked me to come and see her i don't want you to come for your aunt said daisy i want you to come for me and this was the only allusion that the young man was ever to hear her make to his invidious kinswoman he declared that at any rate he would certainly come after this daisy stopped teasing winterbourne took a carriage and they drove back to vevey in the dusk the young girl was very quiet in the evening winterbourne mentioned to mrs costello that he had spent the afternoon at chillon with miss daisy miller the americans of the courier asked this lady ah happily said winterbourne the courier stayed at home she went with you all alone all alone mrs costello sniffed a little at her smelling bottle and that she exclaimed is the young person whom you wanted me to know end of section three recording by michael lebishak